So when I left South Bend now, it's been almost 14 years, which seems kind of hard for me to believe. But when I left South Bend, I had done a grand total of one funeral, uh, presided over one funeral in my life. And that was for a woman named Gladys Stanley. She went by the name Glad, which was like the perfect nickname or, or shortened name for her. She was one of the happiest, cheerful people I'd ever met in my life. But uh, she had passed away, and I had done the funeral for Glad. I had never done a funeral other than that one. Partly, it was a super young church where I was a, a part of, and we just didn't have very many funerals. So I transitioned from South Bend and no funerals, and I came to work at, uh, for Henry Ford as a hospice chaplain. And all of that changed very suddenly. And uh, in the next year as, as a hospice chaplain, I ended up doing, I think, eight different funerals. And so I had to learn how to do funerals, and I appreciated one of my fellow chaplains, uh, Jamie Flowers, really being a huge help to me in learning how to do that. I guess that was in pre preparation for coming here. And since I've come to this church, we have done way, way, way too many funerals. And uh, some for people in this church, and then I've also done some for people in the community as well. And so now I can say I have done literally dozens and dozens, I would guess well over 100 funerals, which doesn't really make me an expert, but it does mean that I have a lot of experience. And if experience is the best teacher, well, then I'm educated on funerals and what to say at funerals. Now, when we come to funerals, most funerals follow a, a pretty standard format and uh, as we walk through, through them. But every once in a while, there'll be something unusual about a funeral that will just stick out to me. And, and sometimes it's just unusual, like, that's, oh, that's really moving or, or, or really impactful. And sometimes it's just something that's a little bit different. And, like, recently I, I had one of these, and a lot of times it has to do with the music. But recently I did a funeral where in the middle of the funeral we paused to, plays, to play Hail to the Victors. Uh, which, you know, the Michigan fight song was part of the funeral. I was like, okay, that's a little bit different. Uh, the one that I don't think I will ever forget, though, is when we paused to hear Dirk Bentley singing, Grab a Beer. Doesn't really seem like the uh, most appropriate funeral song. I don't know. I also remember a funeral one time where the person who had passed away had actually done a recording singing, and then we actually heard him singing to himself. Or not really to himself. I had his own funeral, but it was just kind of a, that was a different experience. I wasn't quite sure how I was supposed to, to uh, react to that one. I've also attended, now not presided over, but I actually attended funerals where like the person up front sang, the minister, the pastor. I've never actually conducted a funeral, though, where the pastor sang. I just kind of felt like people were grieving enough. We didn't need to add to it. And uh, so I let other people do the singing there. But there is something that I've never heard that actually exists. I've never heard anybody sing a song that they have composed specifically for the person who has passed away. It is a thing. It's called an elegy. An elegy is a poem that's set to music that's designed to honor the person who has passed away. And you can technically go to a funeral. I've never been to one. You can go to a funeral and you could hear an elegy. Now, I share that this morning because we're going to look at a poem in Scripture, and it's the Second Samuel chapter 1, if you want to get there, that's actually an elegy. It was a poem, set the music, and that was sung at, well, it wasn't actually a funeral. It was sung in response to um, a death, or actually to a couple of deaths. But when I come to these funerals, a lot of times, 
Well, every time, actually. When I, I'll sit down with a family ahead of time, and I'll ask this question. like, Is anybody in the family going to say something? Or even a friend. Is somebody going to give, and here's the word we're more familiar with, eulogy. Is anybody going to give a eulogy? And, and sometimes people do, and sometimes people don't. Sometimes people don't simply because they're like, oh, you know what, I'm afraid if I get up there and try to say something, I'll just kind of lose it. It's a very emotional time. I get that for people. I usually offer to say, hey, if you want to, write it out, and if, and if you can't finish it, I can read what you wrote there. Because I think that families and people that are close to the deceased do such a, a much better job with that. Every once in a while, I get this situation, though, where I'd like, would somebody like to stand up and say something you know, like nice about the person? They're like, no. And I'm like, okay. And they're like, well, we just, we just can't really think of anything to say. And I've had that on, on more than one occasion where I've met with a family, and I'm trying to get stories of positives about that person that's passed away. And they're like, I'm sorry. I just don't have anything. And it's such a sobering and such a weighty moment to realize that somebody has just passed and the people that, that they've left behind are just like, don't quite know what to do with it at the end there. Well, this morning, as I mentioned, we come to look at an elegy. It's a song written for a funeral. It's actually not a funeral, but a, a song written about the deaths of two different people who had died. They had died at the same time. They had died in the same place, under the same circumstances. In both of them, it was a sudden death. I don't know if it was completely unexpected. But they had gone off into battle, and the battle had turned against them, and they had actually been killed in the battle. Now, what's interesting about these two people, they were related. They were father and son. But about the, the, the father, there's a lot of negative that could be said. He wasn't, a, he wasn't a great person. In fact, he spent a lot of his life doing some really evil things. About the son, however, he really was a good person. And there was all kinds of, of admirable, things, or admirable things that could be said about him. And so David is the one who's faced with this situation the deaths of these two people, not only was Saul, you could say, I don't know if you'd call him evil, but, but had done a lot of bad things, but Saul had been just a, a pain in the neck to David, and that's probably not strong enough, because Saul had spent the better part of, of several years chasing David and, and trying to actually kill David. On the flip side of that is David's best friend, Jonathan, son of this man, who really was a great guy, and they had been good friends. And so David has this interesting situation, though, in that he needs to speak to both of their deaths. And to do that, he sits down, and we know that David was a great poet. And most of David's poems we see are written and put in the book of Psalms. This one doesn't make it into the book of Psalms. But still, David sits down, and he writes a poem. He actually writes an elegy about Saul and Jonathan. And so we're going to read this today, and I will not be singing it because we don't know what the tune was and for other reasons too. But I think about that even on this Father's Day. Um, it was about three years ago, I think in a little bit more. My dad passed away right at the beginning of, uh, of COVID. It was not COVID-related, but uh, passed away right at that time. But because of COVID, we never really got to do a service for him. And we're like, okay, we're going to put this off, and when everybody, you know, can kick back together and, and take the mask off and whatever like that, we're going to go ahead and do a service. 
And so he passed away in February, March, and when we got the summer, everything was still so crazy. And so we finally, in August, did a Zoom service, and I met with my brother and sister in, uh, in Chicago, and uh, my brother's church there, he's a pastor of Chicago, and their video team was there, and we did this service, and then people joined in from actually literally all over the country. But it was interesting to me, I mean, just the things as you go back and you think about it. And my dad wasn't perfect at all, but he was, he was a good dad. He really was and taught me a lot of things, and I appreciated so many things. And at that day, we had so many good things to share about the memories that we had. And I'm just grateful that we had those things to share. But someday, we're all going to be in that same situation that my dad was in, actually, that people are just sharing memories so the concern or the question, even as we look at what we're talking about here this morning, is that the memories about you, the memories about me someday, that they would be good, that they would be positive. If, if somebody says, do you have anything good to say? Like, yeah, I've got all these things to say. And that, you know, that in fact, we're going to have to leave some things out here because we have so many things that we'd like to say. So we turn to 2 Samuel chapter 1 as, as we keep that thought in mind. And just to give you the backstory a little bit here, Saul was the first king of Israel, and he got started really well. He got started on the right feet as a very humble guy, and he rallied the, the, the nation of Israel together, and they went off into battle, and they won an initial victory. And, and he brought a lot of unity, and he brought a lot of national pride uh, to the nation of Israel. But then that national pride was replaced by a lot of personal pride and hubris. And Saul became a very proud man, and Saul became a very self-dependent man, and he forgot about God. And Saul eventually got to the place where that pride led him to do something very foolish, and he actually stepped into the role of the priest and offered sacrifices, which he was not permitted to do. And God's like, okay, Saul, you're done. You just violated a very core command here, and so you're not, you, your line rather, is not going to remain as king. You'll be king here, but it's not going to get passed on to your, to your offspring. So you're, to your children's sons, they're not going to become kings in your place. It's going to go to somebody else, and God chose David instead. When God chose David, well, Saul was very much alive. In fact, God chose David we think maybe 12 to 13 years before David became full king over all of Israel. And in the meantime, though, Saul looks and, and kind of got figured it out that David was the, the heir apparent. And Saul spent a good portion of the rest of his life trying to track down David and kill him and eliminate him so that David wouldn't become king once he was off the scene. And so... This is the relationship that David has with Saul. Saul has been literally chasing him through the hills and through the wilderness, wanting to kill him. And David is literally living a fugitive life, running everywhere that he needs to go to try to avoid being killed. And this is the person who just died in the story. If you back up to 1 Samuel 31, we, hear the, we read the story of Saul going off into battle with the Philistines, and he's actually killed along with Jonathan. And the word comes back to David that Saul and Jonathan had been killed. 
And we see David's response in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse number 11. The word comes back, Then David and all the men with him took hold of their clothes and tore them. They mourned and they wept, and they fasted till evening for Saul and his son Jonathan, and for the army of the Lord, and for the nation of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. And so the news comes that his bitterest enemy has been killed and his best friend. And you have to imagine the mixed emotions, or you would assume that. But there's nothing in this story to show any mixed emotions. It's not like relief, like, oh good, I finally don't have to keep running and hiding. The only emotion that we really see from David in this situation is grief. Which is a little bit ironic, I think. So we get to this poem, and as I mentioned before, it's not in the book of Psalms. Part of the reason for that is that it wasn't really an inspired poem. It was just what David wrote, so it's in the Bible as the event, and that's inspired. But this poem, it's just David sharing from his heart. It's the emotion, actually, that David is feeling. And I think this poem has a lot of importance to us, just that we feel along with David. And we get the fact that he feels with losing his best friend. We struggle maybe with the fact that he also just lost his main nemesis here, an adversary. And yet we see this. And so this poem is called, well, we're going to read it here, verse number 17. David took up this lament concerning Saul and his son Jonathan. And he ordered that the people of Judah be taught this lament of the bow. And there's the title of it, the lament of the bow as it is written in the book Jasher. And so it wasn't included in the book of Psalms. It was included in more of a historical book here. But he orders the, the, the tribe of Judah to, to memorize this lament that he writes, which is interesting. And why the tribe of Judah? Probably because those were the ones who were with him at the time. But why did he have them memorize it? Why didn't he just say, okay, I've got this song I'm going to sing, and everybody just listen. I, I have him playing the guitar. I don't know why. Um, he was playing the harp, right? Um, I have this song that I'm going to sing, but I want you to memorize that. And maybe it was because he wanted Jonathan to be memorialized, and Jonathan maybe would have disappeared in, in the kind of the, the, you know, the alcoves of history because it was really his father who was the king, and Jonathan never was. That may be part of it. But I think maybe it's because there's a lesson in the story that David's like, you know what? We have to get this lesson. And so he goes on here in verse number 19. He says, a gazelle is slain on your heights, Israel. Or your version, whatever you're using there, may see the glory, your glory, Israel, lay slain on your heights. How the mighty have fallen. And that's really the theme of this poem. And it's going to come back two more times here. How the mighty have fallen. You ever heard that phrase before? Oh, how the mighty have fallen. Did you know that it came from the Bible? And this is the story that it came from. And we use that sometimes when somebody's very you know, big and important and proud and, and uh, a lot of hubris and, and their whole world kind of comes crashing down and they suffer defeat and we're like, oh, how the mighty have fallen. This is where it comes from here. The mighty have fallen. But I want to point out just three basic things as we go through this uh, poem here this morning. The first one is this, the grief that David experiences. We already read in verse number 11 
he immediately responds why, how by you know, tearing of clothes, and you can sense just the, the anguish. And then it extends as he sits with that, and, and sitting with his grief, it, it actually leads him to, to sitting down and writing out this song. I don't think he was making it up as he, as he, on the fly. He actually sits down and he writes this, and he puts this to music, and then he comes back. But you see this process of him going through grief. And I just mentioned this this morning, and we've talked about it a little bit here uh, lately, as we've talked about uh, in our series on Dark and Stormy Night. But, but grief is an experience that's okay, that we're permitted, that we're allowed. In fact, it's something that we should be feeling, and it's something that we often feel. The problem isn't with grief, it's just sometimes the problem is that we don't grieve, or, or that we don't grieve very well. Or they were like, you know what, I shouldn't feel this way. I just got to be strong. I just got to get past it. I just got to move on. Sometimes you just need to stop and grieve. Now, grief, we think of grief typically when we talk about somebody passing away and a loved one that we've lost. But grief comes any time that you lose something in life. You can grieve. And, and you, can, you can lose, you know, uh, um, I'm watching a, a kid right now go through grief who's, who's got one year left of a program but she's moving to Phoenix in a couple of weeks, and she's grieving leaving this program behind that she's just been in for the last four years, and she's feeling that. Well, that's grief too, and, and we can grieve in so many different ways. You can grieve, you know, I, I went to an open house yesterday, and there's that grief too as you see your kids moving on in the next stage of life. You're excited for them, but, but you can grieve that as well, but we're permitted to grieve. And David experiences this grief with the loss of a friend, but it says he also grieved for Saul. And that's interesting to me. But we need to allow ourselves to feel. And then verse number 17, coming out of that grief, David writes this elegy, which is a lament. And we need to grieve over what was, over what could have been. We need to experience that feeling. But then lament is giving expression to that feeling. And sometimes we internalize it so much. And what David does here, instead of just keeping it all on the inside, he's like, you know what, I've got to write a poem about this. I'm going to have to sing about this. I'm going to have to express this. I'm going to have to get this out. I'm going to have to talk about this. I'm going to have to process this verbally. And sometimes when you're dealing with grief, you need to allow yourself to express that grief in lament. It's Father's Day today. When you drive by cemeteries, you're going to see more cars there than usual. Why? Because people are going back to grief, but also to lament. And this is a, a healthy thing. And this is what David does. And he steps into this loss here. Through his elegy. Well, we keep reading here in verse number 20. Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not. And that, by the way, is where the Philistines are from. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Lest the daughters of the Philistines be glad. Lest the daughters of the uncircumcised rejoice. And David's like, oh, this is horrible news. It's horrible. You know, we've lost Saul and Jonathan. It's also horrible for the nation of Israel. We've lost to our enemies here. He said, but what can we do to, to not make this... To, to suppress this, to squelch this. This is horrible news. That's what he's saying in these verses. Verse number 21, mountains of Gilboa. May you have neither dew nor rain. May no showers fall on your terraced fields. 
And he's cursing the mountain of Galboa, but that was where the Israelites' armies were. And it was the highland. They had the, the geographical or topographical advantage in this story, and they still managed to lose. And David is lamenting and saying, oh, Gilboa, you, you betrayed the armies that were on top of you. That's how strong the passion is there. And he goes on, he says, for there the shield of the mighty was despised, the shield of Saul no longer rubbed with oil. In other words, there the shield of Saul, it, at one point it represented strength and glory. And if we were to walk to that field today, it's just lying discarded as a piece of tin, a relic of a battle that was lost. He goes on, from the blood of the slain to the flesh of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back, the sword of Saul did not return unsatisfied. And David is saying, I know it appears horrible right now, but let's remember who these guys were. And he refers to the bow of Jonathan, which is interesting to me because this is the title that he gave to this poem, right? The Bow of Lament. Jonathan was an archer. And Jonathan was really, really good with the bow. And so maybe this poem was about that. Or it may have been about the fact that they were actually killed by the archers in the battle. We don't really know. Or maybe it was the convergence of both of those things. But we go on here. Verse number 23, Saul and Jonathan. Saul and Jonathan. Notice that they're grouped together there. In life they were loved and admired. In death they were not parted. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. And David grieves them both, and he chooses not to separate them, which is crazy to me. How do you grieve the person who's made your life completely miserable in the same breath that you grieve your best friend? And it's not just that you grieve them at the same time. You grieve them by saying the same kind words about them. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. And he has high praise for them both. And that brings us to the second point here this morning. You see the grace that he exhibits. I can understand him saying nice things about Jonathan. That makes sense to me, right? But to say nice things about Saul? Actually, to say the same thing about Saul that he said about Jonathan? That to me, is crazy. We can read on here. And he says, daughters of Israel, weep for Saul, who clothed you in scarlet and finery, who adorned your garments with ornaments of gold. How the mighty have fallen in battle. And what is he saying? He says, Saul, you know what? In a lot of ways, he was a good king. Look, what he did. look, for the, look at the prosperity that he brought you here, folks. <laughs> wow. How the mighty have fallen. What a sad day that we have lost the king. And we see that grace in David. He grieves the death of his enemy, and he commends him with the same words that he commends his friends. And I think we see some great moments from David in his life. Think about this, David. He, you know, killed Goliath. David and Goliath story. Or, or we see when he... When he took back or, or he captured Jerusalem from the Ephraimites. And we also see like the day when he brings back the Ark of the Covenant. All of those things are great moments in David's life. I think this might have been his finest moment. When you can take 
what somebody else has given, who somebody who has made your life miserable, somebody who has maybe had all kinds of harsh things to say about you, maybe somebody who stabbed you in the back, maybe somebody who's lied about you, maybe somebody who's just made your life so, so difficult. And, you, and David stands up and says, you know what? He was beautiful in his time, in his life. Look what he did. He, he was a great king. He was swifter than eagles. And it serves as a, as, as a challenge for us to, first of all, find the good in others and to speak it. It's really easy to find the bad in others, isn't it? And it's really easy to speak that, too. But we need to find the good in other people, even people that maybe don't like us, even people that maybe don't treat us the right way, even people that are difficult and hard to get along with. We need to find the good in those people, and we need to speak it. We need to focus in that direction. There's a lot of negative that could have been said that David could have said about Saul, but he's like, I'm not saying that. I'm going to find the positive. I'm going to say that. And we need to be that kind of person. Secondly, don't hold a grudge. With all of the crazy stuff that Saul was doing to, to David, David never seems to get bitter, never seems to hold the grudge. In fact, David has opportunities to even... To, to kill Saul and chooses not to do that because, like, you know what? I'm going to let God worry about that. And I'm going to let go of it myself, and I'm not going to walk around looking at that person going, oh, I can't stand that person. Oh, gosh, that person drives me crazy. Just let it go. Don't hold a grudge. Now, is that easy? No. But somehow David was able to do it, and the challenge to us is to do the same thing. Treat people based on who you are then, not based on who they might be, or what they have done to you, or how they've acted in the past. In other words, I get to choose how I treat you, regardless of how you treat me. You can throw stuff at me here this morning. I don't have to throw it back. In fact, I, I can stand up here and say kind things. I can pray for you. I can all of these, and we always have that choice. And we need to hold on to that choice and not give our power to that other person. And we see David living that out. You know, we live in a world right now that's really mean and really angry and really hateful. And we need to be better than that. We need to be people who are gracious. I wrote in our uh, WhatsApp email this past week some of the different things that my dad had said. But he always used to say that you can always afford to be gracious. I think that's a good reminder to all of us, even as David lived this out, is you know what? You can be gracious. You can be kind. You don't have to scream at people. You don't have to, you don't have to put out you know, angry uh, social media posts. You don't, you don't have to do any of that stuff. In fact, you can look at that and go, no, that's not right. And, so, and not even go there. And David says what? How the mighty have fallen, verse number 25. Jonathan lay slain on your heights. And it feels like that poem is wrapping up. They call it a false coda, but he goes on. He says, I got more to say here. And he shifts from Saul, and he shifts from Jonathan, and he says this, I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear from, to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of women. How the mighty have fallen. The weapons of war have perished. And we feel the weight of his grief, and he comes back around to that, and he says that a third time, how the mighty have fallen. And I think there's one last thing for us to grab here this morning. is this, the truth 
that this poem communicates. And it's this, how the mighty have fallen. And he's speaking about both Jonathan and Saul. They were both mighty, and they both fell. They both fell on the battlefield. But I wonder if there's not a little bit of irony in what David writes here. Because when he's talking about Saul, he's like, oh, how the mighty have fallen. What he once was, he didn't finish up there. He was a great king who died a pitiful little man. And so there's the challenge, and I think maybe this is why David wanted the people to memorize this poem. The challenge is what? Hey, learn from Saul and don't repeat his mistakes. And so here's some, just some things as we wrap up here this morning that I think we can learn from this poem as well. First of all, might is not forever. Use it for good while you have it. Saul was mighty in his life, he says, and I think the King James says in his time. But he wasn't going to be forever. Now, he let go of that far sooner than he needed to. But oftentimes in our lives, God gives us strength or God gives us might or God gives us opportunity or God gives us occasion. We need to use that time well because we won't have it forever. I won't stand up here forever. You won't sit out there forever. But in this moment that we have, how do we use our moment the best that we can use it? How can we take the might that we have because it's not guaranteed? How can we use that for good right now? And at the same time, remember how fragile it is. It's all a gift and it could be taken from us at any moment. And so in this day, we need to make sure that we use our might for good because it's not forever. Secondly, to remember this, that choices have consequences. Choices have consequences. It was one bad choice by Saul that led to his losing the kingdom. Now you could say that there are other things going on there that led to that choice. And that would be fair. But there was one choice where everything turned. And we make choices every day, and sometimes we look at a choice and say, oh, that's not that big a deal. Every choice has the potential to lead to a downfall. I wonder if Saul could have known, or if he had known where his choice was going to take him, if he might have chosen differently. You ever had that experience in your life? You look back and you go, oh, I wish I would made a different choice on that one. Well, we can't fix that, but we can address the choices that we have today and the choices that we have tomorrow. And we can realize that every choice takes us down a path. Every choice takes us somewhere. And that's how the mighty fall, is when they take the wrong path and make the wrong choice. Thirdly, we can easily become our own worst enemies. David's enemy was Saul. Or actually, it probably is more accurate to say Saul's enemy was David. Because I'm not sure that David ever looked at Saul as an enemy, surprisingly enough. But Saul's enemy wasn't really David, even though he saw it that way. Saul's enemy was Saul. And oftentimes, we are our own worst enemies. And we want to we blame other people in our stories. And we want to we wanna blame circumstances and whatever else like that. No, we're responsible. And, and, and we hold that responsibility because we can be our own worst enemies when we become proud when we become self-righteous 
when we become convinced that we can maybe get away with something because, you know what, I'm different from everybody else. And we can easily become our own worst enemies. And sometimes it's just a matter of giving in to our urges. Like, I know I shouldn't do this, but uh, it's just this once. And we become our own worst enemies. Be aware of that. Fourthly, our greatest griefs or our greatest regrets can often be what might have been. At some point, Saul became very aware of the fact that David was going to be the next king and not his son, Jonathan. And I wonder how many times Saul looked at his son, Jonathan, and thought, oh, you could have been king, but what did I do? And I think we need to keep that in mind sometimes, that our our regrets can be over what we might have done. And so when we look at these choices, to realize, yeah, they can lead to, to bad places, but yeah, they can lead to bad regrets as well. And then finally here, this reminder that death is inevitable. Eventually, every mighty one falls. But to bring this full circle from where we started here this morning, when your death comes, and let's hope that it's not for many, 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 many years, when your death comes, what will be said about you? Will it be said about you in in Jonathan's case, oh, how the mighty have fallen, and just referring to the fact that he was mighty and and his life was cut short way too soon, and what a loss that we're going to experience. That's one way, how the mighty have fallen. Or we can get to our desk and they can say, oh, how the mighty have fallen, oh, what he used to be, but boy, he just didn't finish very well. Or he just kind of lost it, or he just didn't maintain it, He, he just didn't stick with it. See, how you finish is way more important than how you start. And Saul started great and finished poorly, but the challenge for all of us is to be wherever we are and say, how can I finish even better? How can I do better than what I'm doing even right now? How can I get to the end? And so when they come and somebody gives a eulogy or, who knows, somebody writes a poem and sings it about you, that they have great stuff to say about you. And that's the challenge for us. And I think maybe that's the whole point David was trying to make in this poem. It's like, hey, your end is going to come. What will be sung about you? What will people say? Hopefully it will be easy to find something good to say. What will people think? Hopefully it will be easy for them to think good things about you. When they gather together, what will be said? Will it be how the mighty have fallen like Jonathan? What a great person, what a loss. Or will it be how the mighty have fallen like Saul? Oh, what could have been? Choice is ours. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for how it speaks to us. The challenge that it gives us. And even the challenge of this story, a sad story, a lament. But a lament that we read and and that we can learn from that challenges us to live well in our days. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. What was it that God said to you? How did you experience him this morning, his Holy Spirit? Maybe it's just in how you treat the people that don't treat you well. Maybe it's like just deciding that, you know what, I'm going to be gracious. Maybe it's finding kind words to say. Maybe it's actually trying to help somebody who's been difficult to you. I don't know. Maybe it's just 
taking a moment to stop and think about the choices that you're making. And maybe you've been making some wrong choices and you need to change that. What do you need to do? And let me ask you this question. What do you think will be said about you someday? What do you want that to be? Maybe that's a prayer that you can make to your God. God, help me to be this person because that's who I want to be. That's what I want to be remembered for. And maybe you're here this morning and we can talk about death, but the thing that sticks out in your mind is what comes next. Well, if you want to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, believe that he came, died for your sins on the cross so that you could be forgiven and so that you could have eternal life, you can place your faith and trust in him. You don't have to worry about what comes next. You can be guaranteed eternal life with him. If you've never done that, I would encourage you. Place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. God, we gather here this morning. And it may be a little subdued because this is a heavy story. And yet, help us to be challenged and help us to be encouraged to go out of here and live a life so that when we get to the end, something good can be said. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. That's the worship team to close us out here this morning.